Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to be in the Old Testament this morning. The title today is Listen to the Lord. Now, the Bible gives us two leadership positions for the church. Gives us elders and gives us deacons. Deacons are those who, are, who serve and meet the physical needs of the church. And elders are those who lead and meet the spiritual needs of the church. Those are kind of very simplistic ways of describing them. Now, in September, we will present the elders who, uh, who will be uh, to be affirmed for the 2022 year. Isn't that crazy? We're almost to 2022. Um, and then in November, at our annual meeting is when we actually vote and affirm those elders. And so today, I just want us to consider the role of the elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're given uh, the qualifications of an elder, and they're all about his character except one. One of them deals with an ability, and the ability is to teach. Elders are called to teach the word of God. In fact, in Titus chapter 1 verse 9, where Paul also talks about elders, he said, elders must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. What we see all throughout God's word is elder is to love God's word. He is to continually seek to learn, to obey, and to apply the word of God to his life. Now, to be clear, all Christians are, lo- are to love God's word. All Christians are, seek to, are, are to seek to continually obey God's word, apply it to their lives. But an elder is a man who has been recognized by the church for his love and obedience to God's word and ability to teach. But we're all called to be on a continual pursuit of knowing and living out the very truths of God's word. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 15, and as we go through our text, we're going to make some application for elders. But really, what I want us to see is the importance of every single one of us knowing and obeying God's word. God's word reveals to us God. Do you know that? Like we're, when, when we're in the word, we, we come into the very presence of God. We're seeing God in his face, and it's in his word that we see his character, his love, his grace, his mercy, his judgment, his wrath. We see that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. It's by God's word that we are saved, Romans 10, 17, and it's by his word that we will continue to grow and become more like Jesus. I just want to encourage you, there is nothing more important for you and I to do each and every day than spend time in God's Word and then live out those truths each day. In fact, I had a buddy at the last church, and he, uh, before he would eat or work out, he would spend time in God's Word. And if he didn't get up and spend time in God's Word that morning... He didn't eat or work out until that would happen. He just prioritized that in his life before everything else. And that is to be our hunger. That is to be our desire. Each day we, we hunger for the word of God. And I don't mean that we just wake up and we, we read our chapter, we check the box, we close the Bible, and we, we walk on. But we're to learn God's word. If you notice, every week when, I, when we talk about our mission, I say our mission is to make disciples who make disciples, which means we learn Jesus in order to what? Do you remember it? I say it every week. It's two more L's. 
Love, thank my wife stepped up. <laughs> Man, that was close. In order that we would live in love, learning is for the purpose of transformation. So we're not just learning to gain knowledge and just puff ourselves up, but it's learning to live and to love like Jesus. So as we approach God's word every day, we're to learn it with the purpose of growing in our conformity to the very image of Christ that we live and love like him each day. And so as we go through this chapter, and we're going to see that it has much to do about obedience to God's word, I just want us to consider how are we currently reading studying, applying, and obeying God's word to our life. I just want you to wrestle with that. I just want you to think through that. So here's the main point this morning. Obedience to God's word is the means in which we worship God. If we're going to worship him, we must obey him. When we obey him, we worship him. Now, we're going to read 1 Samuel 15. Um, we're going to read the whole chapter, all 35 verses. Uh, so you might need a stretch. Um, but we stand when we read God's word. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and stand. Um, if you need to sit down as we go through this, this is okay. Um, but the reason we stand is to simply remind ourselves that this word comes inspired by God. It is inerrant and is infallible and is for the purpose of equipping and teaching us as the church. And so we're going to read this whole chapter. Um, I encourage you to read along in your Bibles. 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and, and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good. It would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul, or it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be to you, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, 
I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of the Lord will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Malachites. And Agag came, came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Father, give us wisdom today as we look at this passage. God, open up our eyes that we would see the beauty of your word. We would see the value of your word. We would see the necessity of obeying your word. That we would see the foolishness and the wickedness of sin. God, help us to see that your son, Jesus Christ, is the only solution we have to sin. And apart from him, we all deserve your wrath. God, may we know today that the only way that we worship you is by obedience to your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. It was a little bit longer than what we normally read, but I find it's helpful to go through the whole chapter. Now, because we're looking at a whole chapter, we can't say everything about everything that we want um, but we'll do the best to cover this chapter. So we're going to walk through the text in four scenes. The command, the act, the confrontation, and the confession. So that's how we're going to make our way through. So we'll start at the command. If you look at verse 1, 
Samuel has been sent to Saul with a message from God, and he says, listen to the words of the Lord. Listen. The entire chapter is about listening to the word of the Lord. Everything about this chapter is about obeying God and the penalty of disobedience. In fact, just to recap, verse 11, God says he regrets having made Saul king. Why? Because he didn't obey his commands. Verse 19, Samuel rebukes Saul and says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Verse 22, Samuel says, it's better to obey than sacrifice. Verse 24, Saul finally admits, I didn't obey God's command. Verse 26, we read the kingdom is torn from Saul because he did not obey God's word. Everything is about obedience. Everything is about listening. And so when we hear the word listen, when we, when we come to that word, we need, we need to realize it's not just hearing but it's hearing with the purpose of obeying. That's what it means to listen to the word of the Lord. Listen, hear it, and obey it. As, as those who are created in the image of God, we are made to listen to God. We are made that we would hear God, that we'd hear his voice, that we would read his word, and that we would obey him. But the only reason we do not obey God, we do not want to listen to God, is because of sin. We see all the way back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's word, sin enters in to humanity, and all of creation is corrupted. And notice, it all comes through the disobedience of God's word. And what we see all throughout the Bible is how man hears God's word and then disobeys it, and he willfully disobeys it don't think that it's just that we have this deaf ear to god and we go oh, I, I just didn't know no we we hear god's word and we willfully disobey it we see that in israel wanders in the wilderness for 40 years do you remember why because they did not obey god and enter to the promised land rather they feared man and disobeyed god the entire book of judges do you remember that book it is all about man disobeying God. They're doing what's right in their eyes and not what's right in God's eyes. Israel goes into exile because they continually disobeyed God. Do you remember Jonah? Everyone remembers Jonah. We preached on that like a year and a half ago. Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Why? Because he disobeyed God. He was running from the very will and purposes of God. But we need to notice, as Christians, we have been saved by God's grace. We've been given his spirit to live within us that we would now be inclined to love God's word, to learn God's word, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would obey it. Listen, the distinguishing mark of a Christian is that we obey God. You must understand, the distinguishing mark of a Christian is we obey God. In fact, even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6 um, it, Moses is reminding Israel of the commands of God before they enter the promised land, and he tells them this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be as frontlets 
between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What kind of relationship was Israel to have with the Word of God? Like, do you see it? It was to be everywhere around them. They were to obey it. They were to teach it. They were to post it around their house. They were to wear it. Constantly reminding not only themselves, but others of the importance of God's word. The distinguishing mark of a believer is that we obey God. So let's go back. What is it that God is telling Saul to do? He says, listen. And then in verse 3, we're told that Saul is to devote the destruction, uh, devote the Malachites to destruction. He is to destroy all of them, men, women, children, infants, oxen, sheep, camels, donkeys. I mean, he's just covering everything that there is. Whatever is in the Amalekite camp, that's to be destroyed. Now, the reason for this total destruction is given in verse 2. When God rescued Israel out of Egypt, the Amalekites came and made war on them. And in Exodus chapter 17, you can go read about it. Exodus 17. 17 verse 14 God tells Moses I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven now I know that when we come to a text like this it raises many questions and it would be fun to answer many of those questions um, but we won't be able to but it raises questions like how is it that God can order the destruction of a whole people group like do you ever wonder that you wonder that in the old testament like like, how did that work? How is he good? How is this just? Um, let me just say three things, as, just so we don't go on the rabbit trail. Um, for one, that's not what this chapter is about. But it does bring it up. So it is good to investigate and to look at it. But that's not the main purpose of this chapter. But just three things about that. Number one, an attack on God's people is an attack on God. Do you remember when Jesus confronts Saul? on the Damascus Road, why are you persecuting me? Well, wait a minute. Who's Saul persecuting? The church. To attack the people of God is to attack God. So we need to understand, the Amalekites are not innocent. In fact, there are no innocent people in the world. Everyone is guilty before God. So that's just number one. Number two, the judgment is a picture of God's wrath that comes against everyone who rejects him. So it's severe, and we need to understand God's wrath is severe. When you go to Revelation 20, we see that everyone who has not believed in Jesus Christ will be thrown into a lake of fire. See, we often will say, oh, the God of the Old Testament was full of judgment. You go to the New Testament, it's a lot more vivid on what that judgment looks like. Everyone who does not believe in God, believe in His Son, Jesus Christ will suffer the eternal lake of fire. So this is a, a picture of that, a shadow of the far greater judgment of anyone who wants to reject God and attack his people. Number three, oftentimes we wonder, does the church carry this role today? No, the church does not carry out holy wars. Whatever you've heard before, it is wrong. The church does not carry out holy wars. Think about this. The role of Israel as they made their, this was the role of Israel as they made their way into the promised land. <clears throat> Who fulfills Israel? Not the church. Jesus does. Jesus comes as the perfect Israel, the perfect son of God. The one who comes 
And we, his people, we live here in peace. We love others. We love our enemies. And then when Jesus brings us into the new heavens and new earth, who is it that wages war against the enemies? Jesus does. Revelation 19. He rides on his horse where he will wage war and he will destroy all who have made war against him and his people. The church does not engage in holy war. Does that make sense? Jesus fulfills the role of Israel, and as Israel was making their way into the promised land, they were to uh, remove all of those who did not worship God. And when Jesus brings his church into the new heavens and new earth, he will perfectly and finally remove all those who do not worship him. So Jesus is that role. So that's our tangent. Um, There's many more things that we could say, uh, but we just don't have time. So we've covered the command. The command is to go destroy the Amalekites. So let's move to the next scene. We have the act. This is where we see what Saul does. Saul gathers his army. Verse 6, he's merciful to the Kenites. They, They were merciful and gracious to Israel when they came out of Egypt. So Saul is merciful to them. Then in verse 7, we're given a summary of the war. Saul defeated the Amalekites. So far, so good, right? Like we're tracking, we're like, all right, Saul's doing great. And then we come to verse 8. And in verse 8, we're told Saul did not kill Agag the king. And then comes verse 9. We read, and the best of the animals were spared, but everything else was destroyed. So what happened? Rather than obey God, Saul has decided what is to be spared and what is to be destroyed. God said everything is to be destroyed. Saul steps in and says, well, I think I'll actually be the one to decide what shall be destroyed and what shall be preserved. Saul has placed himself in the position of God. He has made himself the lawgiver. He has made himself the judge. He is now deciding what is worthy to be alive and what is worthy not to be alive. And what we can see is he's rebelling against God. He's rebelling against the word of God. Every sin that is committed is in rebellion to God's word. And really, he's doing nothing different than what Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve were given the command of God, you may have everything you want. Don't eat from this tree. By being tempted by Satan, they said, hmm, actually, rather than listen to God, we'll determine what is good and what is bad, and we'll eat from whatever tree we want to. So just as Adam and Eve placed themselves as the lawgiver, so Saul has now done the same, and just as Adam and Eve were punished, so now Saul will experience punishment from God. Because of sin, we become God and decide what is right and what is wrong. That's where we try to place ourselves. We obey our will rather than God's will. That's what we're beginning to see here with Saul. And so as we move into the next scene, this confrontation, we're going to see Samuel the prophet. He's going to come and he's going to confront Saul the king. In verse 10, God gives Samuel a message. And in verse 11, we see that, what that message is. God regrets having made Saul king. Why? Because we're told he doesn't follow God. He does not obey his words. And then notice what we read. Samuel is angry. And he cries out all night to God. Now we have no idea necessarily what that looks like. We can probably make some guesses. He's angry. We have 
the one who's been appointed to rule over God's people. And rather than rule them in accordance to God's will, he's rebelled against God. He's done what is right in his own eyes, and Samuel is angry. He's angry at Sam, he's angry at Saul, he's angry at the situation that's happening. So we see that Samuel begins to look for Saul. And in verse 12, Samuel arrives at Mount Carmel, and what does he find? He finds a monument, a statue, something representing Saul's victory. Don't miss this. That detail is not random. If you go back and you read verse so Samuel rose early and was told to Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Saul sets up a monument for himself. He's celebrating his victory, his rule, his kingship. Verse 13, we now see that Saul, um, Samuel comes to Samuel or Samuel comes to Saul, and on the way there, Saul sees him, and he says, blessed are you, comes. He says, blessed are you. And then he says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And this is almost comical when you read it, and you go back and forth between Samuel and Saul, and Samuel says, why do I hear the, vo- the, the sound of sheep and oxen? Saul responds, well, they're, they're for the worship of God. Now look at verse 16. Verse 16 ought to make us all pause because in verse 16, Samuel yells, stop, right? Why does he yell? Why is he so angry at this moment? Have you ever been so ticked off at someone you just yell? No, never, of course. We never get like that. But he's like, this person is talking. He's so mad, so fierce. He just says, stop talking. Like It's not getting any better with the words coming out of your mouth. Why? Because Saul basically just said, I disobeyed God so I could worship him. You can just imagine. Samuel's covering his ears. He's outraged at this rebellion. And so see what Samuel says next. Verse 16, he says, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul says, speak, give it to me. Do you see the arrogance? Do you see the stupidity of Saul at this moment? Saul thinks of himself so highly that he's blinded himself to his own actions and faults and sins. Are you ever like that? Such a high view of ourselves. No one's going to tell me I did something wrong. In fact, just a side note, this is one reason we need table groups and we need to be in relationship with other people. Um, Because we need people to speak into our lives. Because sin does blind us. And when I'm blinded by my sin, I need you to hit me over the head and yell, stop! So that I would see it and you need the same. And so Saul here, he thinks so highly of himself. He doesn't even have a category that he's sinful, that he's done something wrong. So in verse 18, Samuel now repeats God's command. He's like, okay, do you remember what God said? He said, Utterly destroy the Amalekites. And in verse 19, he says, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? So verse 20, Saul says, I did obey. I spared Agag. Oh, and the people spared all of the things that they wanted to so they could worship. Like, do you see it? It's like they're talking and they're, Saul's wanting to agree, but saying completely different things. You're supposed to destroy everyone. Oh, I did that, and I spared some people, but I obeyed God. 
Saul's heart is so hard because of sin, he can't recognize his own disobedience. That's what sin does. The more you play with sin, the harder your heart gets. Saul verbally agrees with Samuel and at the same time contradicts the words of Samuel. Kill all the Amalekites. I did that, and I spared some, and I totally obeyed God. So then we come to verses 22 and 23. And these are very important verses <clears throat> that I want us to see at least three truths in them. So let me read these verses, and let's point out at least three things that we see in these verses. Verse 22 and 23. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Truth one, you cannot worship God through acts of disobedience. Do you know that? Rather than worship God on his terms, Saul wanted, rather than worship God on God's terms, Saul wants to worship God on his terms. Listen, God gives us his Bible for many reasons. One is so that we would know how to worship him. God defines how he's worshiped, not man. When we define it, we sin and we disobey him. And we do this today. There are many people, and, and this is where you just need to start wrestling with where are you at with God's word in your relationship with God's word, your desire to obey God's word. There are many people in the church who think that I can please God and not be in the Bible and not pray, and I only gather with the church when it's optional, and yet I'm a totally devoted Christian. You could also be doing really good things but for the wrong motives. You know people, you constantly tell others all the ways you serve in and outside the church. You have a greater love for man than you do have for God. So here, again, sacrifices are a good thing, but Saul does it with the wrong motive. He doesn't do it for the heart for God. He's acting in clear disobedience to God. Many people in the church believe God wants them to divorce their spouse because, because they're simply not happy, not because of adultery or any other reason. And they will justify, and we, do, we see this, we will justify our sins and we'll say, I made a mistake when I got married and my, my spouse was not a believer and, and now I should get out of the marriage. I've heard that countless times from people. Sin makes us the judge and the lawgiver rather than God, so we define what obedience is. We define what worship is. In other words, we place ourselves in the place of God. That's what Saul is doing here. And if we're not careful, we can do that in such subtle ways in our lives today. Where we have God's word, where he's commanding us and telling us what it looks like to live for him, to love our enemies, to be patient and kind with others, to go share the gospel, and we don't really do any of those things, and yet we say, well, I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ. What we see is we cannot follow God and disobey his word at the same time. 
Number two, to disobey God is to rebel against his authority and reject his glory. Look at verse 23. Rebellion is the same as divination. Presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. And I would say, it is easy to read those words quickly and just, gl- and just move past them. But we need to be careful with these words. They ought to make us pause and read very carefully. When we pick and choose the parts of Scripture we want to obey, we're in essence choosing, choosing to worship false gods rather than the God of the Bible. Do you realize that? Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. But if we say, I don't obey that part, then we're saying, that part's not true, and I'm going to now choose something else that's true. I'm going to worship something other than God. When you make yourself judge and decide what parts of Scripture you will obey, it's no different than worshiping idols. In fact, the word idolatry refers to household idols. If you're not constantly in the word on a daily basis, you will fall and you, you will fall and very likely have already committed div- divination and idolatry. He's wanting us just to pause here as we're reading. Here's a guy completely disobeyed God's word and yet thought he was good. And Sam was rebuking and just calling it, listen, obedience is of paramount importance for the believer. And if you do not obey God's word, then it is the very same thing as worshiping false gods. Creating little idols that you will worship other than the one true God. Number three, those who reject God's word are rejected by God. I mean, just think about this. John 15, 10. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God, that we keep his commands. Do not presume to be saved if you are living in constant disobedience to God's word. He's wanting us all about. Saul is in the people of God. He's in the visible church. He's the leader of the visible church at that time. Like, don't just think this applies to people outside the church. He's calling out people in the church and the very people who are leading everyone else. And we just learned that this guy's been fully rejected because he did not obey God's word. And so it forces us to ask the question, how am I treating God's word? What is my relationship with God's word? Do I hunger for his word? Listen, you can, you can learn a lot about someone by how they treat God's word. Almost everything you need to know about them by how they treat God's word. I was, uh, I was with my dad this last week, and he is one that has not read... I mean, he's 71 years old, didn't read the Bible for 69 years, roughly. Um, and so we're, we're sitting in the car and we're driving, and um, since, my, since my mom has passed away, at some point in there, he's come to know God. And it's amazing just to hear what's happening in his life. And we're sitting there, we're driving, and 
We're talking about God's word, and he's talking about his love for God's word and his desire to read God's word. And I just simply said, what I have found is that the more I read God's word, the more I now hunger for it and desire it. And he says, I found that to be true now. He's like, all I want to do is spend more time in God's word, learning and reading and understanding it. I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, and we, we can make lots of excuses, and we'll talk about excuses later. Um, God has given us his word that we would know him, that we would read it, that we would learn it. And if you're here today and you say, look, I just don't really hunger. It's, it's hard. I'm not much of a reader. I promise you, if you will come into God's word on a daily basis and asking God, God, give me a heart for your word. Increase my hunger for your word. He will increase your hunger and you will love his word. And you will all of a sudden one day wake up and find that you crave his word and that your day feels incomplete if you're not in it. Because whatever food you eat, it just doesn't compare to the spiritual food of God's word nourishing your soul. I want to encourage you. We must be in the word every single day. Sin wants to do the same thing in you and me as it did in Saul. And every day we are tempted to read or to not read and obey God's word. Every day the world promises us joy, happiness, satisfaction if we follow it rather than God. In fact, right now, it's no mystery. There are thousands of churches in the United States. Who knows how many worldwide that have compromised on the truth of God's word. I mean, we saw it already at the end of the first century. If you go to the book of Revelation, seven churches are mentioned. Five of them are in danger of losing their lampstand. Remember? Go back and read Revelation 2 and 3 if you need to. But today we're seeing churches affirm LGBTQ, affirm divorce for any reason. Buy whatever you want because God wants you to have your health, wealth, and prosperity now. That is the message of so many churches today. Sin wants you to build your house on the sand rather than on the rock of Jesus Christ. Every day you and I are being tempted to have beach houses and it looks great, right? Like we all want the beach house. It looks good. It feels good. Yet Matthew 7, 24 says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, do you hear it? Everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Saul had his house on the beach. It didn't look good. It felt good. He was ruling everyone. It, it gave him everything that he wanted, so he thought. And yet it cost him his soul. It cost him his soul. What you build your foundation on is where you will spend all of eternity. And we can have everything now on the sand. And we're told that it will cost you everything. Or we build our house on the rock, and we are literally promised a new heavens and new earth. I just want to make a few points of application on this. We need godly men who loves God's word to shepherd the church's elders. We need the church needs men who will help shepherd and teach 
so that none of us would build our house on the sand. And so I, I want to encourage you, pray. Pray for godly men in our church to shepherd. Pray for men to rise up and lead. Pray for our elders. Pray, pray that we would have continually men stepping forward to not only lead their families, but to help lead the greater family here so that we would all be built on the rock. Because when we pray for elders, we're praying for a strong church. We're praying that we will not compromise on the truth of God's word. Because the moment we compromise on the elders in the church, the ones who are called to teach the word, is the moment we'll be in danger, like those churches in Revelation 2 and 3, of having our lampstand removed. The moment we compromise on the preaching of God's word, the lampstand is in danger, and we need to know that. We need men, not just as elders, but if you're a man here, we need you to wake up every morning hungering for God's word to shepherd your family. That's what your family needs you. They don't need hardly anything else from you, but rising up and loving your family with God's word, being a light in the neighborhood and with your coworkers, that's the most important thing you can do. And you cannot do it if you're not established in the word of God. You can wake up and do a hundred other things. It'll be worthless. Might make a lot of money doing it, but it'll be absolutely worthless to you and to your family if you're not waking up, hungering for God's word and obeying it. We need wives, we need moms who desire more to be in a line with God's word than to conform to social media and to be accepted by the world standards. Social media is a huge temptation. There are more eyes on our lives ever than before, and there's more eyes on other people's lives ever than before, and we're constantly in this comparison and this idea of what I need and what I don't need. But what we need is the Word. So I just want to encourage you, wives, moms, women, we need you to be in the Word on a daily basis. And children and students, just worked out well. It's family Sunday, so you're here. Um, God's word's not only for adults. I hope you know that. Parents, make sure your children know it's not just for adults. Read it with them. Help them to understand it. But if you will read the Bible now, you will strengthen your faith, and you will, like an oak tree, grow deep, strong roots. So that as the world, and it will only become harder to be a Christian in this world. You'll be able to stand firm against the pressures of this world. And men, to come back to you. We start with you. We come back to you. One of the great sins of our time is apathy. One of the great sins. We sit back. We wait for someone else to step up. I want to encourage you. You're the one who needs to step up. It's you your family doesn't need someone else to step up. They need you to step up. I want to just encourage you, out of your love for God, your love for others, every day spend time in His Word. They need you and your love for God's Word more than they need possessions, more than they need fame and popularity and whatever else. And we can make excuses, but excuses are for divination, iniquity, and idolatry. That's what an excuse is. For every time we say, I will not obey God's word here, it's the same as divination, iniquity, and idolatry, which is the very thing Samuel tells Saul. 
We need men to shepherd the church. We need men to shepherd their families. That's one of the greatest ways you can love your wives. One of the greatest ways you can love your children. Wives, I want to encourage you not only to be an example for your husbands in reading God's word, but pray for them that they will read and lead in accordance to God's word. So I want want to now look at just the confession. I want to switch gears here. I want to see what happens now. We see, we see what Saul has done. We've seen the confrontation. And now Saul's going to have this confession. In 1 Samuel 15, 24, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now that's the most truthful thing Saul said this entire time. That's like the best thing he, he said, and I don't believe anything of it. Like I think it's a total sham. I don't think he's genuine at all. I think it's false repentance. And I'll give you three reasons why I believe this. Number one, neither God or Samuel treats his confession as genuine. Like no one treats it as genuine. Like, oh, well, you're actually really sorry. 1 John 1.9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are guaranteed by the blood of Jesus if you confess your sin and you truly come before Jesus Christ and say, I am a sinner, I have sinned against you, God will forgive you. Do you know that? The cross stands as God's guarantee. Any who come to him will be forgiven. And yet, never are those words told to Saul here. Saul, number two, Saul cares more about pleasing man than God. He says it in his confession. And then verse 30, Saul wants Samuel to return with him so he'll be honored before his men. I think that's his goal. How is he supposed to go back without Samuel? How is he supposed to stand before him if the people think God has rejected him? I need Samuel with me so I can still rule, so I can still do the things I want to do. Number three, Saul's confession never produced obedience. Who kills Agag? Who should have killed Agag? If, you're, if you have sinned and you disobey, what's the thing that you do? You ask forgiveness and you do whatever is necessary for that reconciliation. You begin to conform to God's will. You obey. And yet here, Saul still never obeys. Samuel's the one who grabs a sword and a very vivid description hacks him up. Here's what we need to see. And this is probably the most important thing that we need to know this morning. We are Saul. Like, you know that, right? Like, it's so easy to read this and go, man, that guy over there, that's crazy. How did he live like that? We're all born with a heart just like Saul. Do you know that? We're all tempted just like Saul. And apart from God's grace, we will all continue to be like Saul. We want to be accepted by others. We care more about the love of men than the love of God. We want power. We want fame. We want prestige. We want our monuments made public so people will recognize us. We want to make ourselves God and determine what is right and wrong. And so the solution's not just try harder. The solution's not just, well, read your Bible more. The solution is Jesus Christ. We have to know that above anything else. All throughout the Bible, God shows us that Jesus 
is the solution. And we, we could look at this in many ways, um, but just think about Adam. Adam is given as the representative of all humanity, right? And when Adam sins and brings all of humanity into sin, into corruption, what's the solution? We need a greater Adam. We need a new humanity, a redeemed humanity. So Jesus comes as a greater Adam, as the last Adam, so that all who believe in him would be saved. Now in our text, we see that Saul is the king of God's people, and he's failed. So what is it that we as God's people need? We need a greater king, which is then what, what, Saul, what Samuel says, it's been given to someone who is better, referring to David. And yet we all know who David points us to, right? David points us to Jesus, the perfect king, the perfect prophet, the perfect priest. Jesus comes as our solution, as the one who offers us true forgiveness of our sins. He's the chief shepherd of the church. It's through his death and resurrection that we're saved. Because of his rule, he, rule, well, he rules perfect in righteousness. He has perfect strategy. Never does he do anything that is wrong. He promises to guard and protect the church. He's always interceding for you and me. Do you know that? He's at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you and I, that we would stand firm. Jesus is our hope. And the only reason, as men, as women, as children, that we can now live a life that pleases God is because Jesus has died for us. And only by believing in him are we saved, are we forgiven, and we're given his spirit to live in us so that now we'd be made into the image of God and we'd live like Jesus. That's what Romans 8, 29. All who are saved, you remember, are predestined to be what? Conformed into the image of his son. Do you know that that's what God's doing in you right now? He's making you more into the image of his son. And, and that process is going to continue right up until Jesus returns, and then it's going to be perfected. And we will spend eternity made perfectly like Jesus. That's what it means in 1 John 3, 2, where it says we will see him as he is. Do you remember what the rest of it is? For we will be made like him. That's good news. And how is it that the Spirit now conforms us to the image of God? It's through the Word. It's by the Word He saves us, and by the Word He changes us to be made more like Jesus. So I just want to encourage you with four things to spend time in the Word each day. When we spend time in God's Word, we're being reminded that Jesus is the solution, that He is the hope of the world. It fortifies us against falling into the lies of this world. It prevents us from going to the beach house, which we do have a longing for. Our sinfulness desires the things of this world. But every time we come into God's word, we're reminded of the far greater treasure we have in Jesus. Number two, we're reminded of our sinfulness and our absolute dependence upon God. We come to chapters like 1 Samuel 15, and we go, that is us, just like Saul. Apart from God's grace, I will live exactly like Saul. And that is why I need God's grace in my life every single day. Number three, we'll build our lives on the rock of Jesus. So when he returns, we have joy and confidence that we'll be with him. Do you know that? 
We are not to look forward to the day of Jesus returning with anxiety, with wondering, will I be in? Will I be out? No, he says, all those who love me, obey me. We know that we are his children if we obey his words. And lastly, we are strengthened and equipped to live like Jesus, to love others and complete the mission of God and make disciples every time we come into the word. When you pick up this word, God is strengthening you. Do you know that? Jesus is our hope. He's our solution. And the good news is we know that God will never change his mind. There will never be another way to come to heaven. It will always be through Jesus Christ. If you go to verse, was it verse 11? And we're told Samuel, or God regretted having made Saul king. Now that, that brings up a whole fun uh, discussion. Well, what we see there, now we need to realize God doesn't regret like you and I regret. It's not that he doesn't know what's going to happen. So, audio, I don't think we replaced the batteries. And we replaced them every first Sunday, and we, we, I think it was you and I, we had that discussion. I was like, I'm sure they did. Uh, <laughs> we didn't. Um, just real quick, but in verse 29, in the context of removing Saul and placing a better king, who ultimately is Jesus Christ, we're told God will never regret. God will never change his mind on that. Never, ever, ever will there be a different king, a different redeemer, a different name under heaven which we will be saved other than Jesus Christ. It is always, always Jesus. So know that. He's the one who saves us, strengthens us, and changes us to be made more like him. So let's pray and we will take communion this morning. Our Father, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us your word. That we could read it, that we could study it, that we could hear your voice every single day. That we could understand your character and your love and your grace, your holiness. That we could see what it is to love you. That we could understand your love for us and how your son has laid down his life that we could be forgiven, that we could be saved from our sins, from our iniquities, from our idolatries, from our divination, from our desire to be the lawgiver and our desire to have our beach houses now to the fact that you are our hope and our king and we can live our lives on the rock of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that every single person here knows that you are their rock. I pray they have believed in you. And if they have not yet believed in you, I pray they will confess their sin today, knowing that all who ask for forgiveness are forgiven by you. Lord, may we be a people of your word. Lord, I pray for the men in this room. May we hunger for your word. May we pray every day, give me a hunger for your word. And may we read and study knowing that you will and you are answering that prayer. I pray for the women, for the wives, for our moms, for the children in here. May we be a people in your word. May nothing distract us from your word. May we encourage each other on a regular basis to be in the word. 
Father, we love you. May we know that every act of worship will be in obedience to your word. In your name, Jesus, amen.